Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today I have Jeff Ryan on. Now, Jeff, he is an author. Um, wrote a couple interesting books. Um, he's got three out so far. His first one is all about um, his 28-year journey hiking the Appalachian Trail with, with one of his friends. They did it incrementally, you know, as they had time off. Um, really interesting. We learn um, about what it took uh, to to get that done. It's, you know, over 2,000 miles and and uh, it's pretty easy to see why it took you know 28 years to to accomplish. Second book is all about the Appalachian Trail, um, kind of the history behind it. It was started by two men. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into that as well, just a brief history lesson. Um, so we're going to talk about the trail. We're going to talk about the history of the trail, and then we're going to talk about his third book as well, which is called Hermit. Um, we don't give a lot away a lot of details in it, but. Uh, Basically, there's a, a gentleman who, back in the, the 1930s, was uh, kind of a hermit out in the uh, cabin in, in Maine and, and ran, a, I guess, a, a secret life uh, doing some, some very interesting things. Um, so really enjoyed speaking with uh, Mr. Ryan today. Going to talk a lot about uh, hiking, the Appalachian Trail, um, him and his uh, 1985 Volkswagen van. Just a, a cool guy and, and a, a really interesting um, conversation that I don't really have a lot. You know, it's not something that I, I've done very much hiking, so I really enjoyed learning about the Appalachian Trail and uh, just the enormity of it and the, kind of how it was created. Um, he also tells us, you know, for, for people who are interested in, in writing a book themselves, kind of uh, the process and, and some tips there. So some hiking tips, some author tips, some really interesting uh, stories about himself, and and uh, some some drug smuggling hermits. Uh, so a little bit of, of something for everyone today, and hope you enjoy it. Uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Jeffrey Ryan. I'm here today with Jeffrey Ryan. Jeffrey, how are you? I am awesome. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Well, thanks so much for agreeing to join me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Great. So obviously we're going to talk a lot about, you know, your, your books and, and being an author. But before we get to that, if we could just tell, tell us a little bit about yourself outside of, uh, I guess, these topics that you're probably most passionate about. But tell us just a little bit more about you. Sure. I, uh, I grew up in the suburban Portland, Maine area, uh, relatively rural when I grew up and uh, enjoyed a childhood with lots of time on the ocean and uh, with my parents uh, exploring the coast and that uh, that and an interest in the woods and uh, sort of area behind my home uh, I used to go exploring a lot as a kid and it just kind of kept going from there and uh, planted a pretty strong seed in outdoor pursuits at a young age that I've continued to follow uh well into my adult years. So it's been a really wild ride and it just continues to, to grow and go. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I know one of your, your first books kind of talks about, you know, being, being a, a person of the outdoors. So I want to touch on that uh, here in a minute, but if we could, um, you know, given that you, you've written quite a few books, you know, at least three, what, uh, what inspired you to be an author? Well, I think uh, in addition to being uh, enamored with the outdoors, I've always had a gift for storytelling and an interest in storytelling. And in fact, my, uh, my professional career for uh, many, many years, decades, as a matter of fact, was in marketing, where I was uh, describing products and companies, products and services, which is basically storytelling. And so I made a living doing storytelling, but it wasn't sort of the author kind of storytelling. So I had an epiphany about 25, 30 years into my career where I just woke up one morning and said, you know what, I've been telling other people's stories my entire life, but it's really time to kind of turn the page metaphorically and uh, tell my own stories. So I felt like um, as all writers need to get to a point where they finally feel like they have something uh, worth talking about. I decided to tell some stories about my outdoor exploits and that catapulted me into uh, book writing and uh, it's been, it's been really fun. Yeah. So, you know, I've talked to, to several authors before, but they've kind of just, they've written maybe one book that they're, you know, about something that they're passionate about and it's not necessarily their career. So have you made a, a career of it now? I have. Um, I'm about 90% on the author circuit, which I, I wrote my first book uh, between 2014 and 2016, and then took off in a 1985 Volkswagen van and toured the country and did a book tour, um, wrote my second book while that tour was, was going on, or at least started the first half of it finished that book and continued touring and that led to the third book and uh, it just keeps on going. The, the stories have a thread that just keeps pulling me along and opening new doors and uh, sort of piquing my interest in other areas and so it goes. I need a new engine in the Volkswagen and uh, once I get that pit stop done, I'm going to keep going again. Awesome. <laughs> um, you know, once we get once we get over the COVID hurdle and uh, back to some semblance of normalcy, I, I look forward to exploring and uh, being back on the road again. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you about that, uh, but since you brought it up now, I mean, what what made you decide? You know, a 1985 Volkswagen van that's that's going to be uh, that's what's going to take me through my travels. It was the perfect vehicle for me because basically it's hiking on wheels. Um, it's my, it's my office, it's my bedroom, it's my uh, mode of transportation, and it's actually, in some ways, it's my advertising. Um, I have a book cover that I continually update on the back of the van, and it, I, 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 can, I could talk a whole hour on bizarre places I've sold books. New Jersey gas pumps on the New Jersey Turnpike, scenic overlooks. Um, rest areas, restaurants, um, and it's great. I mean, I love meeting people, and it, it's a conversation starter. And so, yeah, the vehicle is is really perfect. I have a two burner stove, a refrigerator that's uh, uh, operates off a solar panel on the back of it, and uh, you know, I can fire up my uh, 
my electronic equipment and keep that all charged. And it just is the perfect vehicle for me. So when, so when you're traveling around and, and promoting those books, you're talking about having a, a stove and a refrigerator. I assume that you're, you're parking this place and actually sleeping in it as well then. Oh, yes. Um, I, I, I camp most of the time, about once a week, I'll stay in a hotel, mm. stop and do my laundry and get caught up on sports center and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, sleep in a bed, but, um, I, I have two beds in the van. One, the top pops up and becomes basically a, a tent. But, um, if I need to sleep downstairs at a, at a place, uh, you know, on my way from here to there, I'll do that too at a rest area or campground or whatever. So it's, uh, it's been a fun life. It's been really cool. You know, you, you mentioned COVID. How, how is that affecting it? Are you still able to spend any time in that van? I know that you said that it's getting some prepare, uh, repair work, but. Well, it will be. I took, um, I took one trip uh, the beginning of October. I actually went out to northern Minnesota to shoot some video for a, a project I'm working on about the fellow who was responsible for the Boundary Waters Wilderness Area, which is uh, near and dear to my heart and my interests. And so I went out there to shoot some video before the leaves were down and while the foliage was still um, pretty nice. And then I came back to New England and went for a 50-mile hike with my hiking buddy, Wayne, who um, the first book is uh, about an adventure I did with him over 28 years. And so we're continuing to hike. And uh, now I'm kind of hunkered down in Maine. How it's affected me has been uh, pretty dramatic, as with most people. But I've been able to do quite a few lectures and podcasts and that kind of thing. Um, we've all had to be a little more nimble that way. I found it ironic. I had scheduled with LL Bean, the outdoor uh, company, um, in free, headquartered in Freeport, Maine. I had uh, set up a, a lecture with them almost two years in advance. And it ended up being two days before they shut the store down because of COVID. So I was really fortunate. I had 170 people show up for that lecture. And it was, it was really a, a great evening. And boom, two days later, um, the world changed. So I was, I was very fortunate that way, timing-wise. But I've done a few uh, podcasts and uh, I did a, actually did a documentary film debut with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service on uh, a Zoom presentation that they did um, in the fall. So, you know, we just, it, it, it's like hiking, camping, traveling. Uh, we have to be nimble and sort of take what's, what's in front of us. And, uh, you know, flat tires happen and rainstorms happen. And you just kind of go with the flow and figure out how to put the next foot forward. So I was kind of prepared mentally that way, I guess. Right. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I've not really thought about that. You know, your, your experience in the wilderness and kind of having to, to take what comes at you kind of helps, helps you prepare for this as well. So, you know, you, you did mention, you know, your, your, your buddy, your hiking buddy and the uh, Appalachian trail and, and the book that you, you wrote on that in your twenty. Uh, eight-year journey. If you would just tell us a little bit first, for people who don't even know what the Appalachian Trail is, what what that is, and a little bit about what that first book's about. Sure. The um, the Appalachian Trail is really the granddaddy of 
well, the near granddaddy of long distance trails. It's, it is the granddaddy of multi-state trails. The only uh, distance trail, hiking trail that was uh, precedes it in, in the United States was the long trail in Vermont, which, which goes the length of Vermont um, from the Massachusetts border to Canada, which was established in 1910. But in 1921, a guy named Benton Mackay came up with this idea for a multi-state hiking trail, um, originally conceived to go from Tennessee to New Hampshire, but ended up going from just north of Atlanta, Georgia, to north central Maine. And so it's about 2,100 miles long, covers 14 states. The shortest one is West Virginia at about three miles and the longest one is Virginia at about 540 miles, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. But um, anyway, it's, it's one of those sort of bucket list things to uh, do the whole thing. And when I was 26, um, I turned 27 on a trail called the Pacific Crest Trail that goes from Mexico to Canada. And two friends and, and I did that over a six-month six period. So I got back from that, and I kind of needed to hunker down and get a job job. It wasn't likely I was going to be able to escape for a six-month trip anytime soon. But I started hiking uh, on the Appalachian Trail with my friend Wayne Sear. And when we first started doing it, we just did it to go out and, and do some hiking. What we didn't realize for a few years is that we were actually doing the whole Appalachian Trail, or at least had started it. And so we just said, hey, let's just keep going. Every year we'll pick a different section and let's do part of Pennsylvania, let's do New Jersey, let's do part of Maryland, et cetera, et cetera. So we just kept going. It took us 28 years to finish the whole thing, and we just kept going till we were done. About five years to go in that quest was really when we first started joking about it on the trail that, man, if there was ever a book, we should talk about this or remember this trip or whatever. And it sort of became a talking point among us. And then, and as I said, um, after we finished the, the trail, um, just decided to sit down and basically start plugging away at writing the chapters. And it turned into Appalachian Odyssey, a 28-year hike on America's Trail. And so that was the first book. And uh, it's loaded with color pictures and maps. And um, uh, it's, it's kind of a nice, I think, combination of travel log and a little bit of history of the trail and the areas that it goes through and the different terrain and the different mental challenges, et cetera. And uh, fun book. It's uh, been very, very well received. And my, my proudest thing about that book, which I intentionally did, was kind of um, planted a seed with people that you can do really big things in your lifetime incrementally, that you don't have to make a big leap and, you know, cash in the 401k or quit your job or whatever. In fact, I didn't, that you can just keep poking away at something and one day you turn a corner and you've, you've pulled it off, whether it's a career change or hiking a 2,000-mile trail or whatever it may, may be. I think that's an important consideration for people to have 
in everyday life. Um, it comes up, you know, and I think sometimes we set ourselves up for an either or scenario when in fact you can build a bridge from here to there. It's been really fun going around doing the lectures and talks because several folks have come up to me afterwards and said, Oh my God, I always wanted to do the Appalachian trail. It never dawned on me to do it in sections. So thank you. And you know, it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, that, that really is, is a cool thing. The incremental nature of it, obviously, you know, the, the whole trail is just one step at a time. So if you would tell us a little bit, you know, you talk about in, you, you did it in, in increments. Mm -hmm. What was a, a typical day? Obviously when you, when you took these, uh, trips were, did you normally like say, you know, we're trying to do a hundred miles on this trip or, or how did that work? It, it, it was, it was interesting. So the first thing was how much time could uh, either one of us get off that year or that season or whenever we were doing it. So, um, the second factor was given the amount of time we have, how much travel time are we going to use on either end? And then how many days do we have left? So, it kind of, it, there were a, a lot of sort of dynamics there. The other thing is that once we got out of New England, we stopped using our own vehicles and took public transportation to get there. So we cobbled together train, bus, taxi. Um, you know, this was pre-Uber days. And there are people who will shuttle you from those places. There's a list of people who will shuttle you from the bus station to the trail and drop you off and then pick you up at the other end, take you back to public transportation again. So it really varied. Sometimes we were out for 10 days and we hiked nine. And some days we were, sometimes we were out for 17 days and hiked 14. But, um, uh, you know, it, it basically came averaged out at about 10, 10 days a year, 10 to 12 days a trip. And then we'd try to figure out what our mileage would be to get from point A to B, where a logical place to get off the trail would be. Gotcha. So uh, just a little bit about the trail. It, when it comes to actually hiking, is it a, a strenuous trail? Is it, I mean, is it, is it tough or? It is. It's, um, you know, uh, Bill Bryson wrote a wonderful book about the trail. It's more of a comedy than anything. And it was a, a movie made about it with Nick Nolte and Robert Redford. The movie is, is not as good as the book, quite frankly, but um, it's called a walk in the woods and it's a bit of a misnomer. It's actually not even a bit of a misnomer. It's just plain mis a misnomer. Um, it's a mountain trail. And so therefore you're going up and down Hills a lot. There are places where it's less strenuous, but, uh, by and large, you're schlepping a pack up and over hills the whole length of the thing. Um, certainly, the hills are higher in the Smokies and higher in northern New England and lower everywhere in between, but it's it's still uh, a mental and physical challenge on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis. It's 1,000% fantastic. I, I People ask me what my favorite spot is, and I can't, I can't tell you. Um, to me, it's all great. Just being on a three-foot three path, walking in the woods is one of the, one of the most uh, wonderful avocations I can think of. It's, uh, you're leaving everything behind. You're 
basically carrying uh, your world on your back and uh, you're free to think great thoughts or think about absolutely nothing at all. And you're just moving at three miles an hour, which most of us don't get to do very often. Mm-hmm. We're usually going about 75, either in actuality or in our brain. And it's just nice to be able to really slow down and see things, feel things, um, and learn a lot about yourself, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, you talk about learning about yourself. You were talking about you know, doing it with, with your friend and, and coordinating days and, and time. Did, did you do the, the entire thing with your friends so there was never times that one of you couldn't get off and somebody else did a little portion of it? Nope, uh, we, did, we did the whole thing, um, the two of us together. And I, I will say it's interesting that way because there's a phrase, hike your own hike. And it's really interesting because we have different paces. I'm actually a bit faster than he is. And it, there's this innate sense of um, you don't, you never, we never hike on each other's heels. You know, we, we would predetermine logical meeting spots or because I was ahead, I would come to a viewpoint or a logical stop. Like here's a water source. We should probably both stop and make sure we are in a good situation water wise or check and see where the next water source is. So there, there are logical places to stop. And also I just have this innate sense of when I'm about 20 minutes ahead of him, which equates to about a mile and I would just stop and wait and I talk about it in the book. What's interesting about hiking with somebody is it's not like you're driving with someone and they're in the front seat and you're never away from them and you're, you're in this capsule hurtling down the road. It's you're, you're hiking, you're feeling about your, your uh, mental and physical capacity, kind of checking in with yourself very much aware and, and responsible enough to know that there's someone with you, but it's sort of like two people in two separate kayaks going down through whitewater. You, you're not going the same place. You're meeting up down the river, but you're, you're traveling the journey together is, is the best analogy I can make for it. But it's, it's really fun that way because if you need mental space and you need physical space, you get it, and then you pull together for things that you do together, like cook and, and figure out uh, logistics for the next day. Or, um, you know, we'd, we'd listen to a ball game on the radio at night sometimes, um, more often than not, or catch a forecast or listen to some music or something. So it, it's communal and non-communal at the same time. It's, it's, a neat, it's a neat pastime, I think, that way. So you would, you would, guys would be camping on the trail. Oh yeah. It, gotcha. Gotcha. So in fact, so- we tried, we tried to, there were, it was a running gag because, because of the way we were doing it, section hiking, a lot of people who are through hiking will frequently get off to get resupplied or grab a burger and a beer somewhere. And, um, you know, their, their time is more flexible that way or do laundry or whatever. Um, take a day off to rest and relax for us on the section hike. It was really, we took everything we had um, food wise that we would need for the week and just went. And 
that way we didn't take a lot of detours um, off the trail. The, the running gag became if there was a cheeseburger within a mile and a half of the trail, we'd probably jump off and have someone else cook for a change. But um, other than that, we basically stayed um, with what we had and camped along the way the whole time. Gotcha. So one more trail specific question. Um, you know, you, obviously it's a, a 2000 mile trail, like, like you mentioned, um, you know, and, and other, I guess, famous long distance things have, have kind of changed. So my question is, is it still, I guess, well put together where you know exactly where you're going the whole time? Like for instance, you know, I've talked to people that's, that's driven route 66 and it's just a mess all over the place now. And this is route 66 and this is route 66. So I, I, the question is, you know, is there just truly one Appalachian trail or sometimes you got to figure out where you're going? It's, it's, that's a great question. It's there. It's truly one trail. The purists will say that um, they have to walk every step of the blazed path so that the, Typical trail marker is a white, they call it a blaze. It's literally a paint, paint uh, mark on a tree, two inches by six inches. And it's a single white blaze, they call it white blazing it. And you know, you, you look for a white blaze up ahead and look for the next one and the next one. It's also well used. Um, more than I think the last time I read uh, a stat was upwards of 3 million people hike at least a mile of the Appalachian Trail every year. So with that much foot traffic on it, the path itself is fairly well marked Yeah, just from yeah. sheer use. Yeah. So um, I, I guess the, the next question would be about advice you would give to others who are, you know, wanting to, to hike, whether it's the Appalachian Trail or just the, the trail in there, you know, to, runs from their backyard? The greatest advice I can give, and I get, I, I get asked this a lot, part of it is um, the equipment side and part of it is the mental slash physical side. Talk about, talk about the physical side, mental side first. It's funny, I was talking to a childhood friend about this the other day. He said, you know, there's nothing in the gym that can prepare you for hiking. I said, you're right. It's, it's important to consider um, if you can getting into aerobic shape, no matter how you do it. Um, I think it's important from a stamina perspective, but he's absolutely right. And I, I've also said this for years is that it's almost impossible to emulate the way your muscles move when you're on the trail, because you're stepping on roots and rocks and your muscles are moving in different directions than anything you can ever emulate on a stair climber or an elliptical trainer or anything like that. So you need to be prepared for that. And the only way to do it is just to do it, you know, start incrementally. Don't, don't try to set the world on fire, do something realistic, do an out and back of a couple miles or whatever. And then I, uh, from an equipment side of things, I tell people to buy, buy equipment or borrow equipment to learn what, your best choices are because they change. I mean, they're, they're different for in different individuals. Some people want a warmer bag. Some people sleep hot, so they don't need as much sleeping bag, that kind of thing. But also just when you buy a tent, for example, or a flashlight, a headlamp, any of that stuff, 
get used to setting it up and taking it down and turning the light on and off in the dark, because that's generally what you're going to be doing before you go out in the woods and it gets dark and it's like, Oh damn, I have to set this tent up. I've never even read the instructions and it's about to pour, you know, that's, that's not what you want. So I tell people, keep it short, keep it real, go out and enjoy yourself. You know, who cares if you get to the campsite at three in the afternoon, it's not a competition. Just get used to your gear, enjoy the setting, take a book out, whatever. Yeah, I, I, what you said about you know making sure that you know, the the stuff that you have you know how to to use and and put up in the dark is huge. I, I haven't camped a, a ton to be honest with you, but every time I bought a, a tent, you know, I've tried to put it up in my backyard or something like that to make sure I know how to put it up. Of course, you put it up during the day, and then when it's time to put up the tent, it's dark. I can't see what I'm doing. This is not at all like I simulated in my backyard. So. Yeah, I think that that's huge. I, I guess it, it just is a no-brainer. Let's try it in the dark, but that's something that I've not learned yet. So, I, I it's like funny because for it's funny because for us it's so choreographed now. I I I, uh, I carry the poles and the tent fly, and Wayne carries the tent body. And when we find a spot to camp and agree that the, hey, that's a flat spot with a nice exposure and this and that, it's it's literally up in under five minutes and we're, we're throwing our gear inside and um, you know, you just get used to it. It's second nature, but boy, it's a good skill to have when, you know, the thunder, the thunderstorm is imminent and you're in the tent and you're dry and it's pouring out and you say, my God, that's a lot better than standing out there in the wind, trying to figure out how the poles thread through the sleeves or, you know, all that stuff. If you haven't done it before, it's like, why, why put yourself through it? Yeah. You know? So if you would, let's talk a little bit about your second book. I believe it's sure. about the Appalachian Trail as well, but just maybe the, the history behind it. It is. Um, you know, I mentioned Benton Mackay coming up with the idea for the trail. So when I, when I wrote Appalachian Odyssey, I think anyone who hikes the AT thinks, especially given the fact that it was really this brainchild out of almost out of nowhere, it would seem. Um, how did this thing come into fruition and how did this thing get built during the great depression when uh, people were rubbing pennies together? How did this thing even come into being? And so I've always been interested in that. And there were some urban legends around the, the personalities of the two people uh, that Ben Mackay who came up with the idea and Myron Avery, who was uh, a Maine native who built the whole thing practically by himself. Um, willed the thing into existence and commandeered people to join him in building it um, and and basically built the whole trail between uh, 1928, 29 uh, to 1938. So 10 years, quite a phenomenal feat. At the end of it, they had a big falling out, a very public falling out and never spoke to each other again for the rest of their lives. Um, because of a different difference in philosophy about the trail. And so I, I was interested in that and followed the path of that um, and wrote that book. And I was working on Blazing Ahead. The full title was Blazing Ahead, Benton Mackay, Myron Avery, and the Rivalry that Built the Appalachian Trail. 
So I was in an office building in Portland, Maine, not far from where I'm sitting right now. And uh, an evening like tonight, um, it was actually a little later in the winter, and a guy came in, and uh, I was the only one in the office, as was usually the case. Everyone would go home, and I'd be working on my book. He said, I got to ask you what you're doing here, because he was there to vacuum out the office. And I said, I'm working on this book about the Appalachian Trail. And his eyes got huge. And he said, oh, my God, have I got something for you? And I said, really, what's that? And he said, I'll see you next week. So he, he comes in the following week, and he hands me a 1934 guidebook to the Appalachian Trail in Maine that had been written by Myron Avery. And so before he had even left, he said, I, I found this in a yard sale for five bucks. It was meant to be, you can have it. So I'm flipping through the book and I found this, this mention by Myron Avery of a side trail in Monson, Maine, way, way in the, 100 miles south of the northern terminus of the trail. And he said, I cut a blue blaze side trail to a hermit's cabin. And the hermit lived a secret life and was notorious and there was an article about him in the 1934 Boston Herald. He gave the name of the article, The Secret of Jim White and His Woodland Lookout, by Roland J. Sawyer, Jr. And so I thought, man, i got to find this article, right? So next thing I know, I'm trying to chase down this article, and a friend of mine who's a historian said, um, here's something you might want to try. And she sent me this link to the Library of Congress, some really esoteric research department. Um, it's not high level on the webpage there. You have to really dig. So I figured I'll give it a shot. So I sent an email to the Library of Congress figuring I'm never, it's going to get stuck somewhere in the pipe. So I just said, um, do, you, do you guys by any chance have this article the legend of Jim White and his woodland lookout, Roland Sawyer, blah, blah, blah. 15 minutes later, I get an email back from the Library of Congress. This is a true story. And the subject line is, your tax dollars at work. So I open the thing and the guy says, I can't believe this. We have four articles from the 1930s that are digitized from the Boston Herald. And yours is one of them. Here it is. So I opened this article and it's basically a, a synopsis of this guy's life and it was beyond fascinating. So I just said, Oh my God, I've got to call the Monson historical society now. So I called them and I said, have you ever heard about a guy named Jim white? And the guy just started chuckling and he said, I think you need to get up here. We got a big file on Jim white. So long story short, I went up to Monson and, found out all this stuff about this guy who was born in New York City in the 1850s, ran away from home at age 16, joined the German Navy in 1860, what, what, what would it have been, 1872, and uh, became a world traveler for 16 more years, came back at age 34, the equivalent of a millionaire, and moved up to Maine to live in a cabin and talk to as few people as possible for the next 40 years um, hmm. and run a secret life 
sneaking down to New York to quote unquote visit his mother when he was actually running a, a, a smuggling ring. So anyway, I fell into this whole story because of my research into the Appalachian Trail. And that became my latest book called uh, Hermit, The Mysterious Life of Jim White. Um, I, I guess the, the hardest question that, that maybe you have to answer, and maybe it'll be the easiest one, is which, which of your, your books, if, one person, if people are listening to this and be like, you know, really, really like, like this guy, I want to pick up a book, which one, which one would you recommend people pick up? Of course, they should pick um, up all three, but which one do you, which one no, do you think kind of encapsulates things better? I'm not going to go there because I'll tell you, it's really <laughs> interesting. There are three different flavors, first yeah. of all. The first one's really a, a travelogue, and it's about – it's a story of friendship. It's a story of perseverance. It's also just a, a fun read about um, – it's basically 28 short stories, I would say, about – doing the trail and ultimately prevailing, um, doing the whole thing. The second one is really a straight historical account of how the trail was devised and built, which is going to have interest with a slightly different audience. You know, um, it's, it's really sort of a snapshot in, in time in the 1920s and 30s and how this thing came into being against all odds. Um, against some of the stuff that was going on in the country, particularly economically, but also the rise of the automobile was threatening um, public lands to a degree that nobody had imagined. And um, fighting for the for the corridor to have the trail at all and have it not be um, overrun by by too many roads. Um, was a challenge for them. So that's, that's a different thing. The, the hermit book is, is more of a, it's a historical um, fiction. I, I created some of the characters to help bridge the story because there were some missing pieces. It's, as I tell people, it's about 85% factual account of Jim White's life, but I needed some fictional characters to, to carry the thing through. And, um, People enjoy that just because it's an entertaining story rooted in reality, but fictional characters too. So it's really pick a flavor. It's, you know, chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry, right? Um, really, it's um, three different things. No, I, I really didn't expect you to, to pick. So I think, I think it, what you did was, was the best, just kind of a brief synopsis of, of all of them. And I think they all sound like, uh, you know, something that, that, a lot of people will, will be interested in. So do you, I, I mean, it sounds like you still pretty much just write what you're, I guess what you're passionate about. So, you know, I guess with, with some authors, they do, you know, have all these, these deadlines, which sometimes makes it a, a chore at that point. Do you still pretty much kind of get to work at your own pace and, and do things as as you please? Yeah, it's funny. The way, the way I tend to work I don't think it's it's terribly unusual, but for me, it's not so much an outline. I don't start with an outline. I start with uh, collecting knowledge, and I just get to this point where I feel like, okay, I, I finally feel like I've absorbed enough for me to sit down and start writing, 
So I start writing and I see where the, the, the story is taking me to a degree. My approach is more like throwing clay on a potter's wheel and sort of shaping it as opposed to um, having a, a fixed outline and thinking it through. And, I, and there are certainly advantages to writing both ways. But what I found out with Hermit was I had such a great story and I had so much fun telling it that I just couldn't wait to get up every day and see where where this story was was going. I knew the characters. I, I kind of envisioned how they would interact with each other and I just allowed them to kind of take me on the trip. Whereas Appalachian Odyssey was more about I knew each trip and I knew each trip had a, a theme because that's the way and any of us who have ever traveled anywhere know that within the first couple of days, it seems like there's a recurring theme that's happening on that trip. And so that one kind of had a different, uh, a different structure to it that way. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that my next book will be, as easy and as pleasurable to write as Hermit was because there's a tension and an energy that that's in that book that I kind of found the secret formula that, that made me want to get up and, and really wordsmith it every day. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for that to happen. Yeah. So you, you know, you, you gave us some advice about, about hiking. Um, now as an author, what advice do you have to, to someone who, has a story to tell, but they're just not exactly sure how, uh, how to do it. Uh, there's, there's, it's sort of like hiking. I would say there's nothing like just doing it. Um, one of the traps that I think a lot of aspiring authors fall into is listening to too much advice and, and having the advice keep them from actually doing the craft. And so I, I try to advise people that, there's nothing better than doing work and putting it out into the world. Um, it helps you build confidence and it may be for the, you know, in the old days they would say, get a job writing for the local newspaper and doing articles and just get used to having your name on something and putting it out. I think in today's environment, it's a lot easier to become a writer, um, which has made becoming a writer so much more attainable. The problem with that is there's so many other people writing that um, it's hard to break through and it's hard for um, to establish yourself. The quality of your work may not show itself for a while just because mm -hmm. people have to go through a lot to find you. Um, that being said, there's nothing like getting serious about your craft and, and making a commitment to yourself to do it. Just like doing the 28 year hike, right? It's like, you don't, you don't, you don't get there by wishing it. You get there by walking it. And um, you know, that's, that's the big lesson for me. And the other one was uh, certainly pre COVID, but it's the mentality I still have, which is get out into the world and tell people that you have a story. And um you know, COVID has made that a little more difficult in some ways, but then again, I'm, I'm, I'm here with you tonight. Right. So it's, it's a different way to think about uh, getting the word out, but there are certainly ways to do it. 
but my my number one advice is just you know sit at the keyboard and see what happens yeah no that's that's good advice and i like kind of comparing it to hiking i mean obviously you know when, when people think about going and 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 hiking and they think of this 2000 mile trail which is sounds almost impossible you know you've got to take it one step at a time the same thing with with writing a book obviously if you sit down thinking okay i've got to write a 300 page book that probably is a little bit scary and that stops a lot of people from from doing it i'm sure so but those 300 pages comes one word one one page at a time so i like i yeah, like the that other, correlation the other thing is just a real quick thing that that made me think of that is when i wrote appalachian odyssey there was a little bit of that oh my god you know how am i going to write this whole book it certainly happened but what was funny was I started in the middle. I just said, I'm going to pick a trip and I'm going to write about it. It doesn't have to be the first one. It just has to be one. Yeah. You know, I've got 28 to write. So um, I picked one and I had a lot of fun writing. It was actually, what was interesting was I, I chose the one that was mentally the hard, mentally and physically, the almost breaking point for me. It was the only time it's ever happened. And that's the one I picked. And then once I did that one, then all the rest of them just sort of fell into place. And I just had this mentality of, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I put little dots on the, every time I completed a chapter, I had uh, cards on the wall and I put a dot, yeah. a red dot on each one when it was done. So I could visually see that I was making progress. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like it's that. not buried on the computer. It's, Oh yeah, I'm I'm halfway there now. Right. No, I, I like that kind of just starting somewhere. I've heard that too. You know, people talk about you know, I have a story to tell, but I just don't know how to to start it. I've you know, I, I I've heard someone tell a, an author that, and the author said, "Well, then don't don't figure out how to start it. Write a write a chapter right in the middle. So you don't necessarily have to start at the beginning." So I, I like that. So I want to be kind of cognizant of, of your time here. I got two more questions yep. for you. One of them is, you know, you've talked about the Appalachian Trail and, and kind of making sure that uh, you know, the, the public lands stay available and the roads and all that kind of stuff. You know, do, do, you, do you feel hopeful now that the Appalachian Trail is, is something that's going to be preserved and is here to stay? I do. Um, I, I feel really good about the AT because um, a variety of things. One is the model for protecting and maintaining the trail from the from the close to the beginning was the idea of having clubs individual clubs maintain it and there's been a private and public component to that so the the clubs maintain in the private lands and to a certain degree the public lands there's a partnership with the forest service the park service and the the maintaining clubs that's been really strong and it's actually been replicated by many, in fact, most of the trail systems that exist. There are 11 other national scenic trails, and they've all embraced this model. I mean, who better to advocate for and protect the trail than the people who live near it, right? So that's, that's been really good, and I'm very hopeful of that. It's, it's powerful, and um, it's a good model. It's, it's a successful model. Yeah, so like you know like like i mentioned earlier somebody listens to this thinks this is something i'm really interested in i want to hear more about 
one or all of your books, how are they going to find your, your books and how are they going to connect with you as a whole? Yeah, just go to jeffryanauthor.com. And I also wanted to mention, I have a whole bunch of advice there about how to section hike the trail, how to choose hiking boots, some of, uh, you know, why hiking poles are important. I have, I actually have a, a little book about um, getting started hiking called um, A Hike in the Woods, um, which is available as a Kindle and as a print version. So um, that might be of interest to people. Um, my top 10 blogs are listed there. And, uh, you know, that's a good place to start. My, all my books are there too. So jeffryanauthor.com. You know, I'll tell you, I've really, really appreciate your time. It's been, it's been a, a really insightful conversation. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, glad I could be on board. Thanks for reaching out. Absolutely. And that was my interview with Jeffrey Ryan. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you learned something, whether it is uh, just being entertained by his stories of the trail, maybe uh, about the history of the trail. I really enjoyed speaking with him. I didn't know very much of of anything about the Appalachian Trail, so I really, really uh, appreciated his time. Do go check out his books. Like he mentioned, you know, there's there's three very different flavors, you know, whether you're into to history, whether you're into uh, you know, a story of friendship or, or whether, hey, you just want to read a, an entertaining story about a, a drug smuggling hermit. Um, a little bit of something for everyone. So I do hope uh, one of those interests you and you check it out. Um, thanks so much for joining me this week. Appreciate you being here. Hope to see you next time and take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.